Welcome to The Haber Show. This week, we'll circle back with my guy uh, from ESPN, Pablo Torre, who just attended the Pacers Heat game virtually. Pablo explains, as a virtual fan, why he ate a hoagie in the stands and then tried to sit next to Lebetard's show pal Stu Gatz virtually. Pablo also vents about his beloved Philadelphia 76ers, and we discuss the bubble possibilities for next season against Major League Baseball's bubble, NFL, and college football, all that. Uh, Pablo is the host of the ESPN Daily Podcast, taking over from Mina Kimes, and Pablo is a regular on Highly Questionable with Dan Levitard and Around the Horn on ESPN. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation with Pablo Torre. Pablo, how you doing? Tom, I'm all right. Uh, the listener can't see the video, but I see you. You look radiant. Your head is shining in the light. I am in a dank basement in front of some curtains I bought off Amazon that were made in China. And I think China may have been misspelled. So whatever the step below China is on the manufacturing hierarchy is what I'm sitting in front of. And I hope things go well because Wait. this is the audio studio that a professional has. Wait, so you, you're the flagship podcast at ESPN, ESPN Daily, and you're using bootleg, bootleg shower curtains to create a soundproof studio? First off, yes, we are the flagship. That is the <laughs> word that all of the listeners here today should take away from this conversation, flagship podcast. But yeah, man, I'm in an echoey basement in the suburbs. I had to get out of the city for a while. I'm here with Liz and Violet, and I'm in the basement, and it's super echoey, so I tried to find, quote-unquote, noise-reducing curtains, and I don't think these Is that just Bed Bath & Beyond's clearance curtains? It's the Amazon brand, or the knockoff of the Amazon brand clearance curtains, and to my left is a stack of foam for noise reduction. And I have a comforter that's strung up, hung into the like mini window that a basement has. I've never had a basement before, Top, because I'm a New York elitist who's never lived in a suburb. And there's a comforter like wedged into a window that's now on top of a lamp upon which all these foam blocks are sitting. And so this is, this is why you have this wonderful non-echoey voice. Well, I, I, I totally sympathize with what you're dealing with because... Early on when I built, uh, we have a garage in our backyard and it, like upstairs is our, my studio slash like guest apartment. And um, when I first moved in here with no rug, no couches, no like furniture, I started doing TV hits or, you know, um, radio hits or podcast hits. And they'd be like, oh, what, like, where are you in some sort of like metal bunker? And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm in my new office. And they're like, you need to create some sort of sound barriers or foam or whatever it is. So what I did, Pablo, is I took a blow-up air mattress that we had been using. Wow. And I set it on its, I inflated it and set it on its side and put the, <laughs> I, I literally put the- uh, Such a good idea. <laughs> I literally put the, um, the, the, the mattress cover on it to even catch more audio. Yes. So I put the oh, mattress pad, oh. wrapped it around the uh, inflated uh, double bed that we were using for guests <laughs> and created a backdrop behind the mic, behind the iPad camera. And it worked until a train rolled by through my neighborhood and created, uh, reverberated enough 
that the <laughs> the the air mattress fell on top of my tripod <laughs> in the middle of a hit. So maybe like strap it down was my was the move I needed to make. But it's a whole art. It's a, like when you go oh. from uh, when you go from an office at like a real like brick and mortar office. It's a weird concept I know in this pandemic to like having to your own do your own studio at home. The acoustics are like crazy complicated. I found, so we also have a garage in this house. I've never had a garage before. There is just a random mattress in the garage. And my first thought before I went on Amazon and looked up noise cancellation curtains or whatever the fuck this is, I was going to drag that dirty mattress in and do exactly what you did. And instead, I got these curtains. By the way, there's speaking of like the let's just double bag it theory of noise proofing. Like I have, there's a, I'll pull this curtain back because literally behind this curtain, curtain is, is another curtain. It's a bed sheet. I don't know if it does anything, but I just have a bed sheet on a clothes rack behind a curtain on a clothes rack. Like, I don't know if it does anything, but this is what I'm working with as the host of the flagship podcast at ESPN. So you're, um, you're not just a podcaster, Pablo. You are a virtual fan. Mm. I am. I have. I have been to the bubble, Tom. Yes. I, yes. I have Please been, tell me how this happened. So, like any good club in Miami, you need to know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. So, the Heat played the Pacers in the T.J. Warren Jimmy Butler Bowl on yes. Monday, and I, for ESPN Daily, actually had been trying to figure out a way to do a segment about what being a virtual fan is like, because we've seen like Bill Walton, Rashid Wallace, a fan holding a goat at a Pelicans game, virtual Lil Wayne. I just wanted to know what it is to actually be a virtual fan. Like, what do you see as you are a person at home logging in and being teleported into the most heavily fortified sanctum sanctorium inside professional sports and so i heard naturally that stugatz and poppy gonzalo lebitard were going to be virtual fans wait and so they were gonna they were gonna do this experience as you were trying to figure out how it is they were they were already booked in booked had their wristbands to get into the club and so immediately and they were going to do it because they're actual heat fans and well stugatz was going to go and troll jimmy butler because he's become a tj warren booster who says that tj war can get 45 on any given night spoiler alert he did not but the uh the thing was they had their wristbands and they're like hand stamped and everything and i had to go and slide into the dms of one tim donovan heat pr guy and pitch myself as the modern day Gonzo George Plimpton journalist that clearly I am. And he was like, yeah, fine. And so, <laughs> and so uh, I ended up, I mean, there's not a the whole, best bouncer. Apparently he, he's, he's a very lax bouncer. I mean, it could have been me and Stugatz, Stugatz on my shoulders in a giant trench coat. And I think the same would have been as effective, but we ended up getting um, friends and family access uh, VIP access and what that means is that yeah what does that get you yeah i mean i I guess i should take this sequentially so you get an email and it's like here's a login page and by the way there will be an episode of espn daily spoiler alert coming out tomorrow i hope unless crazy news breaks that will be 
an episode that we taped, Stugatz and I taped while being virtual fans. So it is the first podcast recorded from a virtual section at an NBA game. But I will divulge some of what went into that because we didn't get into it so deeply as we will here. So you get a link and you open it up and there's a whole terms of service and there's like a whole literally like, who do you know? Kind of section. And I'm like, I know Tim Donovan, he PR guy. <laughs> and, you know, whatever, checking all the boxes. I don't read anything. I mean, this is unsurprising to anybody who's ever seen me um, ignore a webinar request at my work email. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I'm just clicking everything. Yes, yes, sure. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and as a VIP, they say, if you show up at 7.15, which is 45 minutes before the game would start at 8 o'clock, you will be the first ones let into the building, the building, and we will seat you in the front row. Naturally, neither Stugatz nor I nor Poppy show up at 7.15. We show up way late. And so we this is, pop this in. This is classic Miami. This is classic it's, it's, Miami. The front row, empty front row, is the, is the most Miami thing possible. <laughs> exactly right. You're not only so, a New York elitist, you are a Miami elitist all in one fell swoop. It was exactly, it was so true to the experience of going to American Airlines Arena. So people who have like been waiting for this and this is like their, this is the highlight of, of I mean, I don't want to say too much of exaggeration, but maybe they're quarantined, right? Like they've been waiting to be a virtual fan shown on TV in this section. And so what you pop into when you open Microsoft Teams, which is the app that via the NBA's relationship, which you know well with Microsoft, you pop in there and essentially you're in a Zoom room and you have all these different feeds. So you have feeds of every other fan in the section. I was section 35, I think, with Stugatz and Poppy. There's a feed of the game of the local broadcast. So they ask you to pin that feed so you can always have it on there. This took approximately three and a half quarters for Stugatz to figure out um, <laughs> that you could actually watch the game. Um, but, wait, but wait, wait, wait. He wasn't watching the game, but he was at, he did have a separate okay. TV that he was watching. So even better actually than Stugatz showing up um, just super late and disheveled and out of his mind in all the ways you'd hope Stugatz would be. He shows up on his cell phone. And so he's like doing this on his phone and really, you know, they want you to use a laptop because like Zoom, you can get a background, they'll basically silhouette you, put you in front of a fake seat and all of that. And Stugatz is on his phone and so his head is like enormous. He's like Zordon from Power Rangers. He's like popping into like the section and it's absurd because he's on his so cell phone. So that's why the, 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 the heads can be totally different sizes. Is, chaos, yeah. it's chaos. Like you can be the fattest head, fat head, that you want to be if you just get real close because this technology unfortunately is not that advanced but it is advanced enough to be wildly confusing and so you pop into this zoom room and there is a feed in which they superimpose all of us under the virtual seats as they show on the broadcast and inside of the arena itself so if you're tj warren or jimmy butler conceivably you looked around at some point as jimmy butler is shutting tj warren down and there is gonzalo lebitard like kind of just staring down the barrel. It's unclear if he heard anything that anyone else in the section was saying, but he was super, super stone-faced the entire time. Anyway, you're in a Zoom room, Tom, and everyone can hear everybody else. So it's kind of like a 35-person blind date, except oh, wow. also there is Dale, the in-arena entertainer guy, yes. Uptown Dale, yeah. who apparently played Stugatz's twins bat mitzvah totally that. totally expected yep 
Yeah. Um, uh, who's the dude, the in arena announcer? Um, uh, Mike. Uh, yes, yes. Um, Brennan or Biamonte. It's like it's Italian. Biamonte. Yeah, Biamonte. Biamonte. Like yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Apologies. Uh, although they did on the broadcast, Jason Jackson called me Pablo Torres. So I'm not really so guilty about any of these name mispronunciations. Um, anyhow, so it's a 35 person like blind date and you can mute yourself, mute others, whatever, but it's just chaos. And when you show up really late, like obviously they end up filling those seats in front because it'd be very embarrassing Yeah, if it's empty. And so all of these fans are there in the front row, but due to various reasons having to do with like, I guess, internet connectivity or you having to go to the bathroom or whatever else, if you disappear, they move you right out. Yeah, and this so, is like the Oscars. Like if you, they need to fill that seat, right? Exactly. But you, it, when you come back to your seat, you're not getting it back. Um, that was the ESPN app. Um, that was not actually my text message alert. That'd be pathetic. Don't believe you. Um, <laughs> so so it, it's, it's exactly like seat filling at the Oscars. It's also kind of like that time I went to Disneyland for a friend's birthday. And my friend was a super Disney fan. And so we did the VIP experience, which basically means you have a parallel line to the normal line. So fast pass. One, but it's, it's, it's the fastest pass. It's oh. borderline immoral. It's like the one where like real celebrities go, except none of us qualified as that to be 100% clear. But if you pull your money together for a friend who loves Disney, you can taste that experience. And so it's the thing of like, I'm in a parallel line and people in the other line are like at one point looking at us and being like, why are they cutting everybody? <laughs> who is this and guy? Yeah. Who are these people? Um, and so immediately as those people in the front row are mysteriously disappeared slash extradited as commoners from the front row, in come me and Stu and Poppy just like immediately taking their seats. Like we're getting the treatment. And so it's just a metaphor for everything, including vast inequality in America. Poppy, I remember he was in the, he was like front and center. So he, did he, was he a good fan and got there early? There was, I mean, the biggest celebrity in any heat game in real life, as we've both experienced, and a virtual heat game is, is Poppy. Except everyone was just shouting his name, but all you could hear from Poppy was Poppy speaking in Spanish to whoever was helping him with tech support, who was off screen. And he didn't seem to acknowledge me or Stugatz. Uh, Lorenzo, another producer, was there. He didn't get any acknowledgement. It was confusing. It was unclear if he ever knew what was happening. So here we have Stugatz, who's VIP, who isn't watching the game or doesn't know how to watch the game within his feed. Then you have Poppy, who doesn't seem to understand the communication or the, the fact that you're in the same room with other people. And you, you show up fashionably late. Yeah, and I also, to be clear, also had very little understanding of what was really happening either. It took me like two quarters to understand how to do this and how to like figure out uh, how to get the interface, the console going. Because it was, Tom, like it felt like the future. It really did. It felt like a vision of the future. It also felt kind of dystopian. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. It's, it's, it's like we're now just reduced to the most two-dimensional versions of ourselves. We're doing two-dimensional waves. Like we did the wave a bunch. We swag surfed at one point. Uptown Dale got us to swag surf as a section. And I think what does it went that reasonably mean? well. 
It meant they play the song, uh, the, the swag surfing song, as the kids call it. And we all did this coordinated dance that he taught us. He was dressed as a pink bunny. There's also a Darth Vader in the section so with I the can't heat logo on his you. helmet. <laughs> I can't tell you how alien this conversation would be six months ago. <laughs> what you're describing right now is like a Black Mirror episode, uh, a sports Black Mirror episode. It was, it was surreal. And all but the fun, more surreal. But fun? Like, very fun. Very fun. Um, you're eating a sandwich? I had a hoagie that I brought because I had not eaten dinner and I was recording all day. And then I get into the game, obviously at like 8.05, two hours or so of my commitment. So I got to eat, but it's so surreal because every so often you're reminded Tom that you're in the bubble. You're there. We, I mean, our likenesses are projected onto the screen in a way that felt like a legitimate kind of like, Oh wow, this is a real privilege slash perk. And also like, I don't know. I kind of feel like one of those bodies in the matrix that is like the human engine for like a larger power plant of sorts. <laughs> like it felt very dehumanizing and yet I felt very helpful at the same time. Yeah. You, you, you felt used, but also, you know what? I, I'm, I'm for this because I'm actually at the game, even though I'm not there, I, for all posterity, I'm going to be in the background for the TJ Warren game. It felt, it felt strangely and arguably sadly historic um, just because like, oh, I got to see what this time. I mean, Tom, the larger conversation around this pandemic and sports entertainment is I find, and this is, I think, blasphemous to anybody at ESPN or NBC or wherever that has to negotiate live rights. I find sports during this pandemic to be endlessly fascinating as much as it's disruptive and our job securities are all hanging on various threads. It is something that is so endlessly interesting because it's bizarre and unprecedented. And we're coming up with things in the year 2020 that are trying to replicate human experiences, except we're all doing it from weird basements in front of weird curtains from thousands of miles away. And that's, I mean, I, I, I am every bit of the mechanics of how we do this I think it's just really interesting and ultimately kind of good content, even if it's nothing close to actually having the real games themselves in the way that we all want them. Early on in, you know, it was actually, it might've been the Clippers Lakers season debut or the restart debut where I saw the Lakers guy who uh, he's the sign guy at the, at the Staples center who, who's like immortalized in the, in the gif of, of, Lakers and he's oh the chain, his, the chain the chain swagging guy, guy. Yeah, yeah yeah and I was like oh my god there's that guy <laughs> he's on he's a virtual fan this is so cool and I had this moment of if they can like drop in these Easter eggs every game it's almost a game within a game it's this other element of this pandemic in which we would never really like we always do that oh there's Denzel Washington and there's Jack Nicholson and there's whoever it is celebrity by the court but this brings a whole new element in which they have like 50 people on the screen and there's bound to be a Rashid Wallace there's bound to be a Toronto Raptor uh, a, uh, a goat right so did you coming into this think I've got to put my mark on my my moment my 15 minutes of fame I just wanted to be able to high five Stugatz. 
that was my main goal. I want to figure out a way. How did this go down? Did you have to, did you have to coordinate and say, look, we want our table to be next to the stage there. Did you have to go up to the bouncer and say, look, I, I know I, I don't want to pull that card, but do you know I'm ESPN's Pablo Torre? Pablo Torres. Um, what happened was it was like Goodfellas. You get brought into the club slash restaurant. Uh, waiters appear out of nowhere with a lamp and a white tablecloth and a table in the center of the room. And so we did not deserve any of this treatment, but we absolutely got it. And that's why this whole thing is, yeah, it's, it's, America in a microcosm, and that microcosm happened to be me and Stugatz. I've actually been very impressed with the NBA's production. There, there are oftentimes I forget that I'm watching. They're just in an empty ballroom, uh, or essentially, uh, they're in just a, a, a makeshift arena. Uh, the crowd noise, I, I've never really felt frustrated with the crowd noise not being authentic. Uh, I really like the virtual fans aspect where you get to see Jason Tatum's kid or you get to see Giannis's kid. And that's pretty cool. Um, and when you saw the Phoenix suns yesterday with the, the starting lineups announced by their, by their family members or friends that, I mean, I don't know. It, 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 it does feel a little dystopian from the top down looking at this, this arrangement that they're having uh, that we're all taking part in, but also it, it just raises the level of appreciation for any sort of contact with your family and friends. So that Phoenix Suns pregame starting lineup thing, I feel like is, is one of the coolest things I've seen in the NBA this season. Yeah, I mean, look, it all has the sort of whiff of this soldier has not seen his family in six months and look what happens when they surprise him. And so there is that kind of level of... Objective, like objectifying the... the no, no, I mean, it's, it's, but it's in both measures, right? It's legitimately sweet and moving and genuine. I had the same exact reaction as you, perhaps because my hormones and my circuitry has been activated <laughs> since Violet was born. Um, but it's also like, oh, right, we're in a pandemic and this is very serious. And there's that kind of like layer that's unavoidable. But to the NBA entertainment's credit, like, I thought that they should have just, at the beginning of this, I was like, no, they should put all these like fans on speakerphone. Like that would be the solution. And what they've developed instead is a lot better. <laughs> I was just thinking like, yeah, just have like fans screaming live into speakerphones and then have that on the court. But the virtual fans plus the real MVP, Tom, which you alluded to, I think is the Foley artist who's like doing the crowd noise mixing because yeah. I am surrounded by white noise machines in my home. So yes, maybe I'm also numb too. to this. Yes. But, but that feeling of just like womb-like humming that simulates humanity, I think the NBA has done a remarkable job in making that feel kind of natural, even if it's the most unnatural project imaginable. Yeah, and um, I, think, I think it's good to be innovating like this. Like I know they've tried, the NBA has tried with virtual reality to get fans closer to the action, even if they're not you know, paid a ticket to the game. Um, they've certainly tried different ways to get people from all around the world to feel like they're at the game. And this is just one, you know, next layer in unfortunate circumstances. But I do think that there are things that they can pull from this experience that they might make permanent, right? So on the list of people you've seen in the virtual bubble, in the virtual fan bubble, which I think it's called, what is it? There's a, is it ultra court or? Court Ultra Michelob Ultra. I've never drank a Michelob Ultra, by the way. 
Um, I probably I drank uh, hundreds of beers in my life, but I don't think I've ever had a Michelob Ultra, but now I might have to. I feel like it's my Michelob Ultra experience is probably one part of just a giant bucket with the word beer on it in college. I was so undiscerning, just like, yeah, I'm sure this is, it's probably, it's, it was probably always Michelob Ultra and whatever the residue of the last beer that was in this unwashed bucket was, but it's weirdly enjoyable. Um, I expected to enjoy this less when the restart. Did Stu Gatz enjoy it? He said that that was the first heat game that he has ever stayed for all four quarters. Oh, the famous, the famous Stu Gatz leaving uh, during the finals. Against yeah, the, uh, before Ray Allen's shot, yeah. right? As the, as the, uh, as the uh, velvet rope is brought out to the court, Stu Gatz has already He's left. He's already on Biscayne Boulevard just yeah. walking home. Yeah, yeah. He was passing out by the end, but he, he was there. He was there. But the real, the real, um, <laughs> the real like uh, MVP in that scenario was Poppy because Poppy at the very end could not figure out how to log off. And so it was him <laughs> and me and the frozen face of somebody who had already left. And no. so I was just, I was just waiting. I was like, is, cause, so I was like waiting to talk to Poppy, but he still couldn't hear me. And I was just waiting to see how long he would stay there. And this is not an exaggeration in any way. I left before he left. I was like, I, this feels invasive now. It feels wildly invasive that I am now watching him fumble around with tech support. So and also, you, I need to go to sleep. You're sitting at the bar after it's closed, waiting for your buddy to come out of the bathroom or come out of wherever he is. And then there's a passed out guy in the corner who's just frozen and you're waiting interminably long to get to your buddy and you just end up being like, you know what? He's going to find his way home. That's right. That's right. He'll figure it out. Yeah. I got to get up for work in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I assume he knows his way home. I don't think he knew his way home, to be honest. I think he needed to make several more calls in Spanish before he figured out where the exit sign was. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. I'm Mike Tirico, and this week on Sports Uncovered, the side of Bill Belichick you didn't know existed. He's actually very, very funny, and that would shock the people in New England. I remember one time that he was critiquing Asante Samuel's play about how we need to play more physical. The runner who was running out on the video, and he showed on the big screen, that's it, Asante. Hit him with a pillow. Okay, let's throw marshmallows at him the next time. Don't miss an episode. Tap the subscribe button right now to get automatic downloads of Sports Uncovered for free. Now, back to the conversation. I'm so excited to talk to you also because, uh, not just because you're a virtual fan and, and host of the flagship program at ESPN, the ESPN mm. Daily, um, but also because we have to talk about the Sixers. Um, yeah, so I have a column coming out later today or tomorrow talking about the Sixers um, and what they do now. Is yeah. that they're basically they have a lost season. Yep. Uh, Simmons is out. Yep. With a what sounds like a very painful but weirdly maybe not too major um, loose body cleanup from a kneecap partial dislocation. Which, when you're talking about a guy who needs to run up and down in six ten and is twenty four years old, never feels like a good outcome there. But also they're kind of stuck in the mud here with. 
the contracts that they gave out to Tobias Harris, they acquired Josh Richardson, uh, the contract they gave to Al Horford. I don't know what the best path forward is, but I needed to talk to you to kind of sort through all these feelings. To give you a sense of what it's been like as someone who has grafted on to the Sixers fan base and empathized with them far beyond any expectation, there was buzz on text messages, back channels about whether the Ben Simmons injury was even real. There was a theory that like, wait a minute, this is weird. Like it was one of those non-contact things. And then the conflicting statements came out from different reporters and then the team, like it's very suspicious. And the first thing that people noticed was the conflicting messaging around what had actually happened to Ben. My whole thing is, oh, surgery is the sign that this is all above board. So that was the smoking gun, like surgery. You can't fake a a surgery. That's what I mean. And this is going back to even like, you know, Kyrie, right? When Kyrie this season was like, is he going to play? Is he not? What's going on? He had a shoulder thing, but also he's off on his own planet. Like, is this real? When he got the surgery, I was like, oh, if you get surgery, like no one's faking a surgery. Or at the very least, that is my working presumption as someone who trusts that people don't fake surgeries right so, it's like if someone's like oh i'm out with uh chicken pox and they walk in with chicken pox all over them you're like oh okay like you have chicken pox like i can't can't disagree if, with you there if your coworker is like man i didn't feel well i'm sorry i've been out for a week you're like a week but then they say i got surgery you're like oh shit, sorry like <laughs> yeah you know it's a big difference like you open up you're opening yourself up um so that was the <laughs> That's how this started, right? was like, oh, this is wildly confusing. And the Sixers in general have had problems managing injuries. I don't know if you've heard about this, Tom, but the Sixers happen to be a team full of guys who are very often injured, former and current players. And the way this stuff gets transmitted to the public is always suspicious. I mean, Markel Fultz is still like, it's like a... it's like a cold case. Like, do we, do we know actually yeah. what happened? I don't know if we do. And Scott they Miller might not even know what happened. And, like, and, they, and they might not know. And then yeah. there's the other question, of course, of like, well, if you're a team, and this is speaking to one of your areas of expertise, like, if you're a team and you have a guy getting injured, like, well, who gets to control how this medical process goes? Is it Embiid who gets to call the shots? Is it the team? What should it be? And what is? Like, those are all separate considerations. Right, like when Victor Oladipo announced, I think it was to Shams being like, I'm out for the bubble. The Indiana Pacers had to like issue a statement being like, um, uh, yeah, so uh, we support <laughs> Victor Oladipo and whatever he says. And, uh, you know, he's one of the tent poles of our organization and we wish him the best. And then it comes out that like Victor Oladipo reversed course and was like, actually, I'm going to play. And so the Pacers had to backtrack and be like, all right, well, then, yeah, we support you in that decision too. So with the, I guess, I don't know if it's an extension of player empowerment, Pablo. I think it probably is. It probably like is. They're controlling the narrative a little bit more on the injury side or their, just, just their, their future, right? And so the teams have to kind of retroactively respond to whatever they want to do um and it used to not be that and the the power has shifted 
so that the team used to be like, we're going to put out a statement and you have to deal with it because you don't have any other channels. Like we own that channel of we're, we're going to make us an official statement. And what mm -hmm. are you going to tell like the, the local columnist go right ahead if you really want to wage that war. But now, uh, you know, the Sixers are in a really tough spot because like Al Horford is. I, I, I just like, I, I, Mike, I cringe whenever I talk about Al Horford. Um, I cringe. I, I, please explain what you're about to say, but I just want you to know that I'm already uncomfortable because I'm going to say mean things about Al Horford. So Al Horford's best attribute is that he spells, like he, he comes in off the bench for Joel Embiid. Like that, in my opinion, is his best attribute is that he can, those horrible crater minutes when Embiid went to the bench last postseason. Mm -hmm. Yep was something we've never seen before in the NBA is a team going from like championship contender to when this guy goes to the bench, it's like they're in the G league. Right. So if nothing else, Horford is there to be the closer or not the closer, but a relief pitcher. Who's like, when this starting pitcher goes out, I'm coming in and I'm keeping everything afloat. Now, the problem is, is when you get a hundred million dollar contract to justify that hundred million dollar contract, you can't just be a bench guy. You can't be a reserve. But I do think that that is probably his best role is making sure Joel Embiid is healthy. Like he doesn't have to overexert himself and also to sop up those Embiidless minutes. But now he's in the starting lineup next to Joel Embiid. And he went on JJ Reddick's new podcast called the old man in three. And Joel Embiid was like, yeah, um, haven't been comfortable all season. Uh, it's, been, it's been difficult. We have a new offense, and uh, I'm just starting to get used to the things. And I think a lot of it is, like, Embiid and Al Horford, they don't fit well next to each other, where Al Horford needs to be in the post, and so Embiid has to go to the three-point line, and that's not their best alignment. So <sighs> by having Horford out there, you're almost making your best player worse and therefore lowering your ceiling on your team. Yeah, the, the whole, like, let's break up Joel and Ben eternal conversation, which is infuriating to me, we should be talking about breaking up Al and Joel. That's the relationship that is irrevocably broken. That's the one that's a non-starter. That's the one that is doomed. We have all sorts of evidence now, both eye test and statistical, to prove this. When Ben and Joel play together, and they're surrounded by enough people, they are an excellent, excellent team. But in no world does Joel Embiid and Al Horford as a pair make sense. And the stat, I mean, I, I think of Al Horford's best role on this team as a guy who, like, ever play fantasy baseball and have holds as a stat? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just want holds from Al Horford. I don't want <laughs> saves. I don't exactly. want starts. I want holds. I need you to be the middle reliever when our big guy gets tired. And you know what? You he are... needs to be the Bronson Arroyo, a guy who comes in and gives you four <laughs> innings in relief. Yes. And then yes. exits for, uh, you know, Eric Gagne to, to torture a baseball analogy. Yes. Yeah. And, and the other big benefit to Al Horford, as of last season at least, was that he theoretically would match up really well against Giannis. Right? Like more big bodies to throw at the Bucks, And maybe that's still his best uh, use case is, is just stopping Giannis. Yeah. Although I have doubts about that just because Giannis is Giannis, but I, 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 I just, I, I hate watching Al Horford play basketball. I just hate it. 
it's infuriating. And Tom, it's August 12th, right? We've had four extra months to really contemplate how useless Al Horford is to the Sixers' ambitions, more than we would even get in a normal season. And we're still talking about Al Horford. And part of it is because Brett Brown and the Sixers took forever to admit that he should not be playing with Joel. And the other part now, which is inevitable, obviously, is the injury to Ben. But it's just Groundhog Day. It's endless. Yeah. And I, I, I don't hate anyone in the NBA, but I hate watching Al Horford play basketball. He's really good, though. Like, he's really good in ways that uh, I don't think uh, work really well with this team. Um, he's a sure. smart player. He's, no, he's, I mean, like, he's, he's, when he was with the Hawks, with the Celtics, throughout yeah. his very long career, what he could do, right? Space the floor. He could do that. Facilitate. Um, Facilitate he's great. Defend. He's a smart defender. Right. All these things. He, but All he, real skills, but utterly negated when Joel Embiid is the other guy. And so when we talk about chemistry on the floor and like who fits like the other adjacent argument here of course is that ben simmons is a big man and he should be graded by big man standards and for that reason alone like you can't have al horford be the third leg of a tripod you need some guards and so the other and 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 i want to be fair to al horford here i don't hate how al horford plays more than i hate how elton brand has general managed and when i say elton brand i mean elton brand plus in parentheses, the leftover Brian Colangelo brain trust. What they have done to build this team, that's, that's really the root of all of my most um, uh, fiery and, and uh, acid reflux-like reactions. Why don't they have guards? I mean, Josh Richardson, yes, is a guard. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Shake Mil- but when you have to turn to Shake Milton, as the savior, as the key, the skeleton key that unlocks your offense. Like, this wasn't foreseeable. Like, if you see Ben Simmons as a big man, well, okay, let's get so- – if you see <laughs> Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris – and Tobias Harris, like, I, I feel better about him compared to Al Horford and Elton Brand on my hit list of just guys that drive me insane. But if you have those three guys, right, Tobias and Ben and Joel, why don't you have more guards? Why, is Why don't this- you have more shooters is really my, my issue, is have guys who can really space the floor. And Al Horford, like the thing about Al Horford to me is he's not good enough defensively or not stretchy enough offensively to make that work. So yes. you could theoretically say, look, Al Horford, put him on the floor next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. No one's going to score against you. But the – advantages the upgrade defensively does not outweigh the complete minus on the offensive end and especially when it comes to the playoffs where you want and be more on the block and I hate to be the the old man uh yelling at cloud right being like he needs to be on the block more but he gets like 20 free throws when he's yes. just like parked on the on the he's he's seven foot tra- James Harden when he's mm. parked on the on the post and just the the Celtics even don't know what to do with him no I mean we sound like Shaq and Charles when we say like all Joel Embiid really needs to do is run moderately fast to the basket and wait for a pass yeah that's kind of the key to Joel Embiid's greatness for all of his other skills um for me though it's it's like look if you're building a team Tom 
if Joel Embiid is your center and Ben Simmons is your power forward, that is a team that should not set off alarm bells throughout the NBA in terms of fit. Yes, a center and a power forward, both of whom can do many more things than normal centers and power forwards. Just build around that. It's not impossible, except you put Al Horford in there. Al Horford. <laughs> well, um, I, think, I think it's raised the question that the Sixers don't want to hear all the time is, is this the last that we've seen of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid playing? That's what happens when the supporting cast doesn't work. Right now, the um, net rating for, for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid this season. Right, let's, back, let's go back two years. Their breakout season when Ben Simmons is quote-unquote rookie season, right? They bust out of the gate. People are like, oh, my God, these guys are way better than we thought. They like a 52-win team. Their net rating was 15 and a half when they were mm. on the floor together. Last year, and that was with like Rocco and, uh, and Saric um, and Redick, right? Mm-hmm. Last year with Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and JJ Redick, um, their net rating kind of fell a little bit to 7.9. When Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were on the floor, the net rating of the 76ers, meaning how often, how, how many points they outscored their opponent per 100 possessions, was a margin of 7.9. So right there, they went from 15.5 to 7.9. Where are they this year? 0.6. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> they went from 15 to 7 to 0, essentially playing even to their opponent with the same two players on the floor. And it's not like Ben Simmons has regressed by an amazing amount. No. Joel Embiid has regressed to that by that magnitude. It's just the supporting cast hasn't fit. And I don't know where they go from here because it, the, the problem with having your supporting cast not fulfill expectations is that – their trade value goes down is that people are like, Ooh, I don't really want Josh Richardson anymore. Like I don't really want Tobias Harrison. You're banking on the fact that you're going to buy low or people are gonna be like, Ooh, we're going to buy low on Josh Richardson. Buying low on Tobias Harris is a different equation when the guy is making $180 million. Right. So you have to, you are kind of just stuck with where you are. Matisse Tybal is, is a great story. He's a great defender. Maybe like when I was great, great vlogger, great vlogger. Yep. Um, I don't think they need to break up and I don't think they should break up Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But I think that the fact that they're at 0.6 this season and they were 15 two years ago should be a giant banner when you walk into Wells Fargo is like, find the right supporting cast here. Yeah, it's an indictment. It's an indictment. And look, I think the numbers that you have... Um, yeah, I mean, they make the point. And I think if you go to NBA Wowie, and I've done this in the dark of night, and you look at, okay, can we isolate just those two guys? And I, I think there still is a case, a strong case, that it is entirely about supporting cast, to your larger point here. But I saw immediately, Tom, on Twitter, after Ben's injury, there was an anonymous GM telling like at NBA central, which is maybe an account that's real and maybe an account that's not, I don't know, but they have plenty of followers. And I just saw immediately like Celtics Twitter accounts retweet, you know, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure to break up Joel and Ben. And my whole thing is to do that now, like the roster that you say and the contracts that you mentioned, entirely like uh just 
just the jaws of death, right? Like terrible, 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 terrible. We want to pry that open, pry them away from that. But to break them up because you're not sure if they can work together, that's the argument that I bash my head into a wall against, especially when that theoretically will happen after we haven't seen Ben and Joel play together. Because <laughs> right, Ben, ben got just hurt. got yeah. hurt. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, thank you, Dr. Kevorkian, for coming in with your astute medical analysis as Ben is in a hospital room recovering from a surgery that I do think is real. Yes. Um, so it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's a topic that I understand and it's a topic that I legitimately find fascinating. I just hate how underrated the potential of Ben and Joel together still seems to be. And I understand why it is underrated. It's just, yeah, it's just maddening. And we can just go back to last year in their series against the Raptors. Even though Joel Embiid like got worked by Marcus All, like they were still in a seven-game series down to the last possession against the the fully loaded Raptors, right? So yes. we know that even those two players- A bounce away from overtime. A bounce away from overtime. Like and 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 to their greater credit now, Tom, and this is this is infuriating to Raptors fans, I'm guessing, because I'm going to use how good they are to show how good the team that lost to them is, yeah. or was even. Yeah. But that team is so much better than we thought. The Raptors are so much better than we thought. The idea that the Sixers could push them to that point is not a small thing. At the time, it was like, oh, they, they blew it, you know? Like, and Correct. look at Joel Embiid crying. They choked. You know? Yeah, they, they choked. choked. Yeah. And instead, now you realize the team that they have this year, plus Kawhi Leonard, of course they won the title. I mean, the Warriors needed to get hurt in various ways, obviously, but They're that a worthy team is champion. Yeah. We're a worthy champion. Is That's the point. Um, you've been covering not just the NBA, even though you have a fiery distaste for Al Horford's game, and to which uh, not many pan sport, sports panologists like yourself, not many people have that kind of uh, astute analysis of, of a certain player on a certain team. But you've been covering um, college football bubble. You've been covering the NFL progress, baseball, the NBA's model, or I don't know, TBT likes to say it's their model of, of creating a bubble. I saw that, and it's like I respect the hell out of the TBT. Yes. It's just not the same in it's terms two, of it's scale. two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Scale and duration, I mean, very different. Um, what does the NBA do next season? Because we, we see these, the ideas of different pods being thrown about. What are some of the um, home market issues that you've seen in other sports that the NBA has to wrap its head around? And do they have an advantage simply because it's fewer players that they have to worry about? Yeah, I think the NBA has that natural advantage because the population is smaller than it is in baseball and football. There, no question about that. And I have some degree of empathy for those sports and college football too, for that reason. But to me, like this question can be very complicated in terms of the mechanics of different hub cities and how many fans do you let in and how does the arena organize and are there arena workers and all that stuff. We saw those conversations when the bubble in Orlando first started. And they're rightfully complicated. But the more simple way to look at this, which I think is ultimately the only way to look at it right now, is to ask when the virus is going to go away. When is it going to be contained? So until that reality comes into view, I don't understand how a non-bubble season works at all. No. And so the idea of the NHL model where you have like 
some hub cities. I think that is, that's legitimately realistic. But even there, and broadly, when it comes to any of these proposals, like what baseball's doing with now considering a playoff bubble. I just talked to Jeff Passan on ESPN Daily about that. They're trying to pivot to a postseason bubble in baseball for all the reasons that are now obvious. All of this hinges, Tom, on the behavior modification of Americans, right? Both the people in the bubble and the people outside of it. Because a bubble, like these aren't actual bubbles. Like something that I think the uh, lemon pepper wings experience showed us, right? At the beginning of the bubble in Orlando where it's like, oh, a guy wandered off and picked up food delivery. Like how did that happen? And at first I thought it was like, the border between the U.S. and Mexico, really hard, or it used yeah. to be, to There's get a into giant the U.S. Fence that he leapt over, and no, no, he- well, well, it was, it was, it was really hard to get into the U.S., but really easy to get into Mexico, where it was like, <laughs> oh, you can just, you just walk out, sure, yeah. if you want. Yeah. Um, but in reality, and this is like the NBA's own terminology, which has now been erased by the bubble language. It's a campus, yeah. right? There is no Jurassic Park electrified fence. It's all dependent on whether people take this seriously. And until the country takes it seriously, the idea that we're going to have games in normal buildings in which you can get revenue from your fans, it just seems irresponsible. And, and so the NBA can, I think, throw feelers out into the water about we're going to get fans back. We're going to replicate some of what the old system used to be. But until I see proof of the curve changing nationally and things trending in the right direction. I really think we're going to get something closer to hub cities and bubbles in those cities than anything else. And I think all of it is incredibly precarious. I mean, the bubble right now in Orlando, Tom is working great. It could all fall apart. Right. Like right now with the season, they're opening up the doors to family and friends and, the coded language of uh, long-standing, Amazing. established visit, uh, guests, uh, friends is just fantastic. Um, I was curious how they were going to litigate that, or at least write it in uh, in print. Is like, how do we keep out uh, IG models or social media folks that they want to have in the bubble, right? And yep. what I think is really true, and and Brian Winhurst talked about this early on, is the trust that the players have with management of Adam Silver, namely, is so big because if you have an adversarial relationship with the commissioner, there's just that distrust factor that you're just not going to abide because you're like, screw him, screw that, the man, right? Whereas in the NBA, it's kind of like, hey, if Adam says so, we got we to gotta do this. And it's- that trust has been validated by how well the bubble has worked so far. That's it. To me, that is it. And it answers the question of like, is Adam Silver the Aristotle of commissioners? You know, is he the grand philosopher, the grand leftist philosopher even? And I think the answer to those theories is no. But what he is, is a brilliant politician. And that's a compliment to Adam Silver. And by politician, I mean, he's not only aware and extraordinarily careful about where are the hotspots in the political climate right now, it's the most important thing for him is to build a political alliance with the players and specifically with those stars. That's what Roger Goodell does not have. That's what Rob Manfred does not have. That's what Gary Bettman does not have. 
Adam Silver has a one-on-one relationship with LeBron James to the point. One of my favorite details ever came last year or last season, I think. When Adam Silver is out to lunch with Maverick Carter, right? Because that's what happens. One-on-one lunches with Maverick Carter, LeBron's guy. What happens? Rich Paul happens to be in the restaurant is how it's reported. Rich Paul walks past the table of Maverick Carter and Adam Silver having a one-on-one lunch and fundamentally demands to have Luke Walton fired. That interaction is a bit of amazing NBA gossip, but also evidence as to what Adam Silver has been doing behind the scenes the entire time for the benefit of the game, for the benefit of grand projects that require the buy-in of players. The NBA forever, Tom, has had a rule against kneeling during the anthem, but that was never an issue because the players understood that Adam Silver was fundamentally on their side. Yeah. On their side. And that trust is the key to all of these enterprises going off as smoothly as the NBA. So we'll see. We'll see what uh we'll see what happens with the Sixers. I still think that they can upset the Celtics, by the way. I still oh, think they can that's do. that's so I I I talked to Ben Dietrich a lot about the Sixers. Ben wrote the story about Colangelo's burners. And he and Andrew Quo on their podcast, Cookies Hoops, they always talk about the little green hand of the Celtics media mafia trying to break up the Sixers. And so if the Sixers in this current form were to beat the Celtics, that would just be delicious in every possible way as someone who is clinging on to uh, the Sixers bandwagon as it drives off a cliff. It'd be kind of like the inverse of the Celtics almost knocking off LeBron in the in the uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie is like we don't yes. need Kyrie. Uh, we got these little kids, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like we're gonna upend LeBron James and the Cavs even without Kyrie. We don't need him. Um, I, I want I, and so Al Horford, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry. And there is a way for you to apologize for those beautiful eyes that he has. He is he is a beautiful man. He is he's objectively yes. he's a cosmopolitan beautiful man. Um, and his sister follows me on Twitter and I follow her and I've tried to keep my <laughs> remarks limited to podcasts where I hope she doesn't tune in. All right. You just, uh, you just made a big mistake by admitting that. So now I'm just, <laughs> my entire tweet is just going to be, Oh no, no. Anna Horford. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm sorry to betray you, Pablo, but it had to be done. Um, um, wait, so on, on the Sixers and the story that you have coming out, do they have, moves this offseason like well josh richardson is interesting because he's on a pretty good contract he's at 10 million dollars a year and i think if you attach a pick or matisse tybel to josh richardson and maybe pair him with a you know like for example tobias harris the nets have a hole at power forward Mm. he's from long island um i don't think he's a brooklyn fan or a knicks fan but I could see some sort of sign and trade with um, Joe Harris as like a, uh, as like the Redick yeah. um, of the new team is like, all right, fine. We tried this didn't work. Let's pivot here. Um, it gets really complicated with sign and trades and just cap stuff, but I don't know. I think there are, there are some emergency break glass scenarios that you could do without breaking up Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid, but, but it's you got to re- sweeten it with either Thibel who every Sixer fan loves because he defends like a, except He's for amazing. TJ Warren, he defends yeah. like a velociraptor. He's incredible. 
um, or a pick is what you're saying. Yeah. And um, Josh Richardson, I think has enough residual trade value from the heat, like coming up through the heat system that I, I could see a team. I think it was Anthony Slater um, at the athletic. It might've been, I'm not sure who, who did the, the story, which is like, should the Warriors target Josh Richardson as like their two-way Andre yes. Guadalla? Like, do you, you're, you're looking, yes, yes, they should. Yes, they should. <laughs> uh, but then it means getting back Andrew Wiggins and then Pablo's like, oh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. What, what, a, what a wonderful wrench to throw into the Sixers experience. Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Yeah. Because number one picks always do well. Um, uh, so... I do think that there's, there's a little bit of wiggle room here, but they really need to find some shooting and uh, to space the floor and just basically demand that Joel Embiid goes down to the, to the paint. Yes, and I, I, would, I would like shooting. And also, I mean, go back to the guards thing too. I do think there's something to be said for Ben Simmons being the role man. I want Ben Simmons to be a guy who doesn't have to handle the ball all the time so he could fulfill his he, destiny as a monster. And I do think him... Being in you the know pick and who roll, you know who can great. teach him how to do that? Who? LeBron. Yeah. Because LeBron yeah, can we get, fought can, that. Can we get LeBron, long. Tom? Can we get LeBron James on this? No, but you're right. LeBron is yes, yes, you're right. Is is being in the post and being uh, a role man setting screens was not his deal. He refused to be known as a, a Carl Malone, even though he was the size of Carl Malone. The idea of being Carl Malone as a as a rolling big man just was antithetical to everything that he had been an amazing savant at, which is like being face forward to the basket and just seeing over the top of the defense and operating as the point guard. But what Spolstra and the Miami Heat needed was a guy who's comfortable, you know, setting screens, rolling to the basket, catching it and passing it or catching it and rolling to the hoop. The issue is that like Ben Simmons finishing hand is still uh, the jury is out on his finishing abilities. If it's, if it's not just a, a dunk at the rim, um, can he finish with confidence on a roll? And he can. He's 24. He can learn it. It's just going to take some, I think, humility to get there. Yeah, I understand I, think, I need this to get to that next level. Yeah, and Ben, I think, initially, early in his career, is on record saying that he sees himself as a point guard, You know, which reminds me of this larger symptom you described with LeBron. Also, why Kevin Garnett never wanted to be seven feet in the media guide. You know, like no one wants to be the big man. That's, that's the unfortunate that's reality. That's Joel job, right. And, yeah. I, and now I really sound like Shaq because this is all I want is for you to fulfill your destiny as a, uh, as a beast in the paint. Um, but yeah, barbecue chicken that shit, Ben Simmons. That's what I hope for you. I hope that you can use all of your talents in the way that they are most taking advantage of the inefficiencies because the dude has created, Tom, more threes than anyone else in the league since he's been in it. Ben Simmons, he can do that. But just move, yeah, move down closer. Be the guy who dunks sometimes. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, find a way to, to get, get you, Horford away, if this, po- if this podcast doesn't um, ruin your chances, uh, we need to get you on a virtual fan of a Sixers game before the end of the season. <laughs> what a, I mean, I just... Just Al Horford comes onto the floor and that's the, that's the look. It's just, ah! <laughs> just, just me being thrown out of my basement for holding up a sign that says derogatory things. Um, yeah, it's, it's my, my future as a political prisoner because I have slandered Al Horford. I, I can see it now. We love you, Al Horford. You beautiful we do. eyes. Um, we do. All right. Um, 
anything anything besides the daily podcast you like to plug or anything you're working on that uh that we should be watching out for all I want you guys to do is subscribe to ESPN Daily, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe, then unsubscribe. After that. the Haber show, after you do the Haber show. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 million percent. And then leave us many ratings and comments under various burner accounts. Maybe buy some uh, burner accounts that are operated in China and have them directed towards us. Do you want to throw Mina Kimes under the bus? Like in the comments, say, Pablo, yes. way better than Mina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to slander her as much as possible to establish that okay. I am the one true king of the flagship podcast at ESPN. You are the, the, the head of the flagship of the worldwide leader. That's right. Yeah. The, the bow of a ship. I am the mermaid that is in front, strapped to the front of the wooden ship that is so did, did, ESPN. So if you're a flagship, do all the ships in back of you not have flags <laughs> you know that's a good question tom uh i like to imagine non-flag ships yeah I, I imagine that flag ships exist because uh they needed someone to follow and here i am with the only flag in the armada and the flag now has my face on it and with my misspelled else... china curtain behind me yes that's right <laughs> that's right and uh, yeah pablo torres is what it says and we're just <laughs> floating off into the glorious horizon that is America's future. With that, uh, thank you, Pablo, for joining me. And uh, until, until next time on the, uh, on the Haber Show, and we will uh, we'll circle back once, once Joel Embiid hopefully stays healthy. I even no, – this is for another day, but um, – Why? What, what are you going to say that's going to be even more worrisome? Should he even be playing? You know – uh, it, it, so oh, and, and and now we come full circle. If Joel Embiid, if you're listening, I'm gonna need you to fake an injury, announce it on Twitter, leak it to me. I will cover you. I will cover your fake surgery, <laughs> and we will preserve your own future as we sail off into the glorious, uncertain year that is coming up. And just this. like the second game of them playing without Ben Simmons. It was Joel lands on the stanchion and almost like his ankle just almost spontaneously combusts. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Joel. Jo- I mean, all you, need to, all you need to know about uh, rooting for Joel Embiid, Tom is, is, is that the way that he keeps himself healthy is by falling down as much as possible, which is not even an exaggeration. He has found a way advised by various sports scientists to fall, to protect himself, which only as, a, as dads, we know, like, it doesn't make the anxiety go away. It doesn't. My, my daughter fell. We were playing piggyback, or she was on my piggyback, doing piggyback on my back, and we were running around the house. And then I tried to lower her down. But when you're <laughs> three years old, there's no, like, she's not very tall. So there's this, as far as my knees are willing to go, bend down, she, there's still, like, a little gap between her, the bottom of her feet and the floors that requires her to kind of just, like, jump off. And she decided that the thing that was going to brace her fall was her upper lip. Mm. Mm. You know, it's just, you got to learn how to fall. Okay, Madeline? You got to <laughs> learn how to fall. It's one of your great, great rooms for improvement is your ability to not use your teeth as the first thing that hits the floor. Yeah, okay. I, had a, I, I had a friend in college, one of my roommates in college, actually. We were like, and finals week, senior year, he took a couch cushion in the newspaper office and obviously we were like blackout drunk, but he takes the couch cushion and like 
tries to surf across the wooden floor and just does what your daughter does, except he has all of his teeth and he goes to the ER to get massive stitches. And much like Poppy Lebetard, I was like, I gotta go. I hope that you will find your way out of this. I need to go back to this party. And ultimately he did, but I don't think he ever forgave me. So I'm sorry, Pat Coyne, if you're out there listening to this too. Hopefully uh, Poppy actually... Yeah, Talk I should check on him. When, when we get off this call, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check on him. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. I uh, want to thank Pablo Torre. Hope everything goes well with uh, his virtual fandom. And we got to get him on a Sixers game. Have to. Um, want to thank last week's guest, Coach David Thorpe from TrueHoop.com. He was great and made all sorts of really sharp observations about LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Really good conversation as we head into the playoffs. You want to listen to that. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time on The Haber Show.